Good morning, all. So I'm going to have to get used to the parameters of uh, preaching in these times. I can only go so far, and, uh, but I'll try to do what I'm supposed to do. They're, yeah, they, they really need fences for me, I think, you know, on the, on the sides here. But uh, <clears throat> So, uh, a couple of things I want to talk about uh, this uh, morning. If we can have the first slide, uh, Chuck, if you would, uh, just... Uh, <clears throat> I entitled uh, what I wanted to speak about today is Two Essentials for the Church. Uh, actually, go back uh, to the, ver- the very first one. Do we have that? Yeah, right there. Yeah, perfect. And um, as, as in most cases, I only get an opportunity to speak once in a while up front, uh, filling in for Steve and when he's not here. And uh, usually they're subjects that I've... I've, I've thought about for a while. Uh, I don't think I could preach every week. It's, I'm not sure I could get my head together and, 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 and figure out what I want to say. But this actually was a sermon that I was going to talk do last year, last summer. And uh, for whatever reason, uh, last summer uh, when I uh, had the opportunity to preach, I, I actually settled on a different subject. And the same thing when Steve away, was away in, uh, in January. <clears throat> but so, uh, finally, uh, this, is a, this is a set of things I want to talk about uh, today, and uh, I think it's appropriate given the time we're in. <clears throat> However, as I said, uh, these two things I want to talk about, I was thinking about last year. Well before COVID and you know, any of this stuff has come along, uh, so it's not per se in response to the current situation that we have but certainly still applicable. And uh, so I just want to read a couple of things sort of as introduction. I've got two articles that I stumbled across uh, a week ago, uh, well, Monday, last week, uh, the 17th. Okay? And the first one... uh, cites some interesting statistics about things going on now. One in four young adults aged 18 to 24 reported seriously contemplating suicide within the last 30 days, according to new data released last week from the Centers for Disease Control. Further, 16% of those aged 25 to 44 reported the same as restrictions in the name of COVID-19 implemented to slow its spread promised to stretch into the fall. More than 10% of all respondents of the 5,400 person survey said they were given serious, serious consideration to the irreversible act. The results of the CDC survey remained largely consistent with census data in May showing one in three Americans exhibited signs of clinical anxiety and depression while lockdowns exacerbated an existing mental health crisis by mandating isolation and bringing financial devastation to more than 40 million out of work, in addition to being told to stay home or face added consequences. The current situation is making worse what existed before, okay? uh, suicide rates have been going up over the last uh, couple of years pretty dramatically without 
the pandemic. Uh, addictions, likewise, rates of addiction have been going up. And a lot of it has to do with people coming to this or questioning, what am I in this universe? And there is nothing worse than the stark terror of having something in your head uh, lead you to the thought that you're alone. You are alone in this universe, and there's nothing you can do about it. I don't know about you, but that is terrifying if that's what you really come to the conclusion about. Glad Richard picked the song that he did. All right? We are not alone. We are in the hands of an eternal God who loves us. But for those people who don't lay a hold of that truth, it is terrifying to think that they're alone. And again, the current situation isn't making that easier. I stumble onto the second article. This one from the New York Post. It was an opinion piece in the New York Post. Never heard of the author before. Her name is Carol Markowitz. I'm just going to read a little bit of her opinion piece last Monday. Reach out to friends. In the crazy, hazy early days of our lockdown, Zoom happy hours were so prevalent we had to keep a running schedule. But we got tired of seeing our friends through a screen, and frankly, we were all drinking way too much. I don't think perhaps she's a church attender, perhaps. But, okay, this is her commentary on life as she sees it. If you're comfortable, go see your friends in person. If not, online is better than nothing. Get food from one of the restaurants that only have takeout during this pandemic. Have a drink or don't. Find something funny to talk about. Reminisce about better days. Make plans for the future. Remember how good it felt to be together and look forward to doing it again soon. She wrote this article sort of as her prescription for people as they head into the final days of summer. And it's interesting that this is her, her commentary, right? That we miss being with one another. And that's her prescription, her opinion in these days. I am a hardcore introvert. Right? Much to Cheryl's dismay. And she's had to put up with me for a long number of years. And I will tell you, even I have found these months to be intolerable. One of the gatherings we had with our family a little while ago, we're all sitting out in the back and we're all kind of, our chairs are all distanced and, you know, the, the extended family. And we were just talking along a little bit and, and uh, my niece made a very interesting and I think funny statement. She says, Uncle Bob, you have been preparing for this pandemic all your life.
And she's right in some sense. My introverted nature, you know, I don't mind being by myself sometimes. But even I, in this time, find it's a bit of a stretch. In our society, next uh, slide, Chuck, I believe. Yes, okay. In our society, and as I said, even before the pandemic, this is where my head was at last summer, is we have a need for community. People need to be connected and have connection to others. And our society lacks several support mechanisms, right? A lot of people lack family or extended family that they are in, they're seeing on a regular basis and they, they can rely on. They're by themselves, pretty much out in, in this world and saying, you know, who, who's my support? Many people lack local ties to the neighborhood they live in or the town they live in. And they're just not connected to anything there. People are unfulfilled by social media. Social media promises us, right, that if you get on Facebook or other things, you know, you know or, or now, uh, you know, Instagram or uh, now Skype or Zoom, that that'll make up for those things that you lack. But unfortunately, social media fails in many ways. It's often false. It's superficial. You can have lots of friends, but are they friends? It's not face-to-face. -face. It's temporary. It's often lacking reality and substance because people can be online one thing and it's entirely different than what they really are. You can find on the internet connections to anybody who has an interest in a particular thing that you want. And that is one of the reasons people spend so much time on the internet because they find a connection with a group of people. because they want it, they need it. Second thing that people want from community is they want comfort. Do you have a place in your house that you like to sit? And it's kind of your special place, and that's the place you feel most comfortable? Right, it might be a couch or a chair. It might be a particular room. You might like to be in your sweatpants and your sweatshirt or with a blanket and a pillow and you're just sort of there and you feel like that's really where you just want to be. Right? Remember back to when you were little or perhaps your children or your grandchildren and they have pillow forts or they have blanket forts and that's where they just want to go and just be there. That's what community brings to many people. Think of it in that way. It's that place where I know I can be and be comfortable there. 
Know that I belong there. That I'm safe there. The next one might be a little cumbersome, but it's uh, just the way I tried to think of it. It's clarity of action. What else do we get from community? One of the problems with being alone in the world is you're left by yourself to sort of figure everything out. And that's hard to do. Particularly as you're going through the years and you don't have experience with how to deal with situations. I'm surprised even now, after all the years in the, you know, the age of our children, you know, I get calls. Uh, Mom, can I speak to Dad for a minute? And it's like, Dad, what do I do about X? I've never, I, I, I don't know what to do. And I'm astounded a little bit, right? First of all, that I've gotten so much smarter over these years, evidently, in their eyes, that they think I have an answer, okay? But more importantly, it's a, it, 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 it just leads me to, again, be reminded that we just don't know what to do in many situations. What do I do? How do I live? How do I tough, make tough decisions? People are by themselves. I'm reminded of uh, the imagery in the Bible. It talks about, about us as being sheep, right? Old Testament, New Testament, we have this imagery. Jesus talks about being the shepherd, but he talks about sheep. That's us. Are sheep smart? No. Are sheep well able to take care of themselves out in the world? No. What happens if sheep don't have a shepherd? These two decide, oh, there's some grass over here. Okay? That five, six, seven, eight decide, we're going to go up that hill over there. Sheep left to themselves whoosh, go all in their own different directions. And they're not good choices. That's what the shepherd's there for. Likewise, community gives that kind of support to people. The last thing community gives to people is commitment to a cause that gives meaning to their lives and their daily action. I think many people in our society today want this. And the reason I say that is People are dealing with what is an existential question. Why am I here? What am I here for? They seek an answer to the question by seeking a cause. In some sense, this is good. As long as it's a good cause. But we see that in our current society, this is not so good. One one 
Example of this is that people oftentimes have made politics their religion. They hold on to it so tightly that they're willing to step beyond what would be normal bounds in terms of civilized behavior with one another. Politeness goes out the window because they're so committed to their cause. It's actually a new Puritanism in our society when people take up a cause and then they can't, they can't understand anyone else behaving differently or thinking differently and it has led to people trying to say, well, we're going to force you to be like us. Back in the old days, people would look at the church and some examples of it of, say, how the early Puritans lived here in, in New England. And they now say with their mature attitudes of today, they say, oh, how could they be like that? But people today are taking up causes and they want everyone to conform or take on their cause as much as they do and change their behavior. This question of cause is a problem for many people. And we see them latching on to something. Without faith in God, the search is worthless. Without real meaning, it is simply a way to push away the question that is always still there. Why am I here? So to answer this question about community, we're going to go to Acts. So I think we can go to the next slide perhaps. Okay. Acts chapter 1, excuse me, Acts chapter 2, um, we have this small group of believers. All right? Think about what's happened in Acts, right? We are not too many days from Jesus' arrest, trial, death on the cross, and resurrection. Certainly, when he was put on the cross and died on the cross, the believers, the apostles, and the believers were stunned. How could this happen? Now, in Acts chapter 2, we have been through Jesus' resurrection and appearances over many days to many people. But still, the group of believers is, you know, it's pretty small. 100, 150 people, maybe, in that range. And these people still were together. They needed to be together. This is all new to them. Acts chapter 2, 1 says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And why were they doing that? They were because in chapter 1, Jesus told them, that they were to wait in Jerusalem until they had received power from God. 
So they're waiting expectantly, and that's what it says there at the start of, of chapter 2. And chapter 2 goes on and gives us an account of Pentecost, the coming of the Holy Spirit for the church. And then after that, at the end of chapter 2, we have a couple of verses, and I'm going to read them. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That's the image of the first of the early church. Okay, and I listed them up there just so you could just sort of separate them out with the words. This is what the early church did. They were struggling to figure out what was going on and what life was going to be life without Jesus, okay? And even after Pentecost and the coming of the Holy Spirit, they're still not, they're not relying on themselves. They're not all off like sheep, riding in different directions. They are together, and this talks about the practice of being together in community. Another verse that tells us a lot on the same subject is Hebrews chapter 10. I'm going to pick it up with 10, 20, uh, 23 to 25. <clears throat> I've got it, I think. Yes, thank you, Chuck. Uh, I've got it up here. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Notice up there what I have uh, you know, bolded. Paul's writing is not to an individual by individual. He's saying, let us. This is a collective thing. Let us, let us, let us, let us. All of us do this. You read a little bit later in the chapter in verses 32 to 34 in Hebrews uh, chapter 10. They had, they, it talks about them having been through persecutions and having stood side by side during those troubles and those difficult times of persecution. And what he's saying here in 23 and 25 is we need to continue forward in that same way together. But there's more to it than just being together. What happens when we're together? What should be going on as, as in part of our community? What is it that we should be doing? 
And I, I'm, uh, uh, now's time for response, guys. I, I, this is not just a rhetorical question. Uh, you know, I, I do like. So, what's the what are we encouraged to do there in that 23 to 25? Chuck, yeah. Well, thanks, Chuck, for going back. Spur one another on. What's the spur used for? Get a horse moving, right? Okay? The rider has these sharp things on the back of their, you know, boots or shoes, or, and, and they are meant to, you know, get the, the horse moving. The word that was used there in the Greek actually is provocation. That's not usually a word that we would say is a good word. Provocation generally is somebody saying something we don't like, right? But really the word there is provocation and there should be mutual provocation to active good works by the people in the church. So it's not just being together, but what comes from being together? It comes from being together where we encourage one another by doing good deeds to one another. We are part of their lives. And in doing that, they see that and they likewise then take the opportunity with that example to do the same for others in the community. This is what life should be like in the church. When we're together, we use those meetings as opportunities for mutual encouragement. A couple of short lines from a couple of the commentators. First one's from a writer back in the 1700s, I believe. His name was Matthew Henry. He's been one of my favorite commentators over the years that I've used. His wording is a little sometimes hard to get used to, but this is a, a short line. It's not too bad. It says, The communion of saints is a great help and privilege and a means of steadfastness and perseverance. What Matthew Henry is saying is that us being together is a way for us to get through the troubles in daily life. It's how we persevere in the faith. Second writer, this guy's name was Barnes. I think it's maybe the first time I've, I've uh, uh, seen anything, uh, but I think he, he's written commentaries and, and all the rest, and, and this is an interesting statement he makes. Religion is social. And our graces are to be strengthened and invigorated by waiting together on the Lord. What he's saying is, it is very difficult to be that Christian all by yourself, the Lone Ranger Christian out there just doing it by yourself. Religion, as he says it, is social. If we can go to the next one, and one more, I think. Yes. So my second subject that I had, like I said, started thinking about last year, about what we should be seeing in the church and what we want to encourage 
in the church is service. It flows out of community and obedience to God. Jesus modeled this action for us. We'll see that in a minute. It's a proper view of who we are to be as people in the church. Remember that clarity of action I mentioned early on about community? Well, this we see, and we'll see this in just a minute. And we see that there is an honorable nature or character in lowly service to one another. And so the example I'd like us to go to is John, chapter 13, verses 1 to 20. We have an account in John chapter 13 that is not found in the other Gospels, Matthew, Mark, or Luke. The setting is Passover. Okay? This is just before Jesus' arrest. Okay? And then that leads to the, like I said, arrest, trial, crucifixion. Chapter, John chapter 13. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part in me. And then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And Jesus answered, a person who has a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing his feet, or their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you, he asked? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. I did not know this, and perhaps I should have, but I was looking about 
this account of Jesus and the fact that in many, many churches down through history, washing of the feet is a regular thing in the church. Oftentimes on Monday, Thursday, it is part of that celebration of, of, the, of, of Easter week. I can only think maybe two times in my church life with, you know, being together with believers that there, we've actually done a washing of the feet. And the first time I can tell you, I was really, this is a little weird. But why does the church do this? Why do churches regularly, systematically have washing of the feet as part of a church service? I think it's it makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Jesus, just before he knows the events are going to lead to his crucifixion, just before then, he gets up and makes an does something with the, the, uh, the disciples that is hugely important. This is it. This is his, one of his last opportunities to get through to them. Talking to them is perhaps not always Right. They, don't, they, don't, they haven't got it yet. They don't know that he's going to die and he has to die on the cross for our sin and their sin. They don't get that yet. And so Jesus does something hugely important. He knows fully about the coming events. He is confident that God's in charge and that, yes, he's going to die on the cross. And prompted by that conviction in his head, he needs to teach something. And so what he does when he gets up and takes off his outer robe and he puts a towel on and he's got a basin and he goes and washes the disciples' feet. This was a planned but highly symbolic act. It was a totally unexpected act of humility that Jesus, their teacher, their rabbi, chooses to humble himself to wash their dirty feet. And this is to a group of disciples who had just previously been arguing about who was going to be first in the kingdom that Jesus was going to set up on earth as far as they understood it. The account is in Luke 22-24. And Jesus was hearing this conversation. And he doesn't sit there and, you know, way to, way to get them to get a clear understanding of, of how wrong they are is he gets down and he washes their feet. This would have been the act of a slave, a servant. This was not the act of, of the, 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 the person in charge of the household. Humility was despised in the ancient world. The time of Jesus' day, okay, and the disciples. Humility was despised in the ancient world as a sign of weakness. Jesus' action was revolutionary in the realm of human relationship. It's symbolic. Why? What does this little incident have to do with what was going to take place with Jesus on the cross? 
Jesus was humbling himself. He's part of the Trinity. He's God incarnate here on earth, and he humbles himself, not just to become man, but to go onto that cross and to die for our sin. And the disciples participated in the Lord's humiliation. This brings cleansing. Nothing more is needed. In other words, this was symbolic of what Jesus was going to do on the cross for our sin. He makes us clean. Why? Because he humbled himself to do what the Father wanted him to do on the cross. The cross was not a mistake. It was not an unplanned event. It was for us. As followers, we, his followers, we are to emulate him, serving one another in loneliness of heart and mind, seeking to build each other up in humility and love. When we seek preeminence, like the disciples were doing, we displease the Lord who promised that true greatness is king, in his kingdom is attained by those with a servant's heart. And for references there, you go to Mark 9.44 and 10.44. When we have that servant's heart, as the Lord promised, we will be greatly blessed. And one of the commentators so finished this section on the washing of the feet and says, knowing without doing finds no sanction anywhere in the teaching of Jesus. In other words, that writer is saying, Jesus was explicit. Don't just listen. Don't just watch. But... I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor a, master, a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. In other words, get out there and do what I have done on your behalf, both in the washing of the feet and certainly later on, what was going to happen on the cross. So I've taken us perhaps a little over. But I just want to close. I think I've got... Very good. Thank you, Chuck. Okay. So what did I talk about as sort of two essentials? What I've had in my head now for a while, sort of churning around there. It, I'm a slow thinker, guys. It takes me a while, right? Put it, put it all into perspective, right? And I'm not sure this is a grammatical or well-written sentences, but kind of puts together a set of the, the two thoughts. We need to be a community. New Hope Chapel needs to be a community that is alive, consistent, meaning consistent in our faith, persevering in the face of trouble, growing in number as we shelter more seekers, believers, and disciples. That is our purpose. Now, the complication in the current day, oh, things are a little weird, right? We're all separated out here, we wear masks when we get together. We're having things on Zoom. And I know all of that goes on. And I'm not saying that we can ignore it. But I'm saying we, us, each one of us, need to remember community. We are not meant to be alone in this world, 
God has provided a, uh, our brothers and sisters in Christ to be with us. We need to figure out how each one of us can foster that community even in these strange times. Sometimes it might be a phone call, right? It might be a Zoom meeting. It might be that you feel comfortable going to visit. Maybe you sit on the end of their driveway and you're, you know, 10 to 15 feet away, right? And they're over, you know, and sitting in the driveway 10 feet away from you and I don't know. There are things we need to think about because we have to hold on to this community. So many people are hurting. Hurting before the pandemic and now maybe even worse. People's situations in life change and they're not going to wait for, uh, you know, everything to be back to the way it was before. So my encouragement is to remember that we need to be that community. And I wrote down here, seekers, believers, and disciples. We, we need to be a community that is welcoming to people who don't know that they have a creator that loves them. And then we need to, you know, as, as Steve's taught recently, we need to bring that message to them. We need to then build them up in that faith that they may come to know their God fully. And then secondly, the essential that I wanted to list and talk about this, this morning is that service is a hallmark of our lives. We must be in service to one another. We must be the hands of God. That's why we're here, guys. You ever think about why God doesn't take us to be with him as soon as we've figured out that our sins are forgiven in Christ? Why are we not immediately taken up to heaven? We are God's hand here on earth. We are to love, to bring God's work to reality for others, and to meet needs daily. This action, these actions, the multiplicity of action, should amaze the world around us and please God. Again, in this world, we've got to figure out how to do this, even though things are really weird in terms of our interactions. Right? And they may be that way for a while. I don't know. So, I appreciate your patience. Your appreci uh, I appreciate you allowing me to take as long as I have. But uh, lastly, I appreciate having an opportunity to uh, share something that's been percolating uh, back in my head for a while. So, thank you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that you indeed are a loving God. You have created us to be in fellowship with you. You have created Eve to be the helpmate of Adam. You did not expect Adam to be alone in this world. From the very beginning, you have loved us you have desired relationship with us, and you have sought to solve the problem, the reason that we are disconnected from you, our sin. You've solved that problem by sending your son into the world. 
We are not alone. Father, I pray that we would hold on to the truths of who we are as a church in this world, who we are as believers in this world. Lord, I thank you that you have made us participants in your grace to one another. Lord, I pray that by your Spirit you would uh, help one of us, each one of us, think about these things, be willing to sacrifice, be willing to do lowly service to one another, that we might begin to understand why we're here and the purposes for each one of us in our church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.